I love coming back and working with Honest Thomas Jameson. He has his very own way of making films. Nobody else does that in the world. I try always to compare him when people ask me, what is this, what's it like? I can say maybe a little Tarantino or a little Coen Brothers or maybe a little David Lynchy, but not really. It's Honest Thomas Jameson and it's a complete different universe and it's insane to watch. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the show where we take a look at movies that didn't do so well in the theaters, maybe give them a second chance. Uh, This month, we're going back and looking at films that bombed in 2021. And I'm your one of your hosts, Troy. With me is Brad. How you doing, Brad? Hey, buddy. Hey, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into a football talk. Oh no! But my football team won a playoff game for the first time in 31 years. Hooray! Oh. Okay, I'm moving on. But okay. I'm I'm fantastic. So you're doing great. It's a it's a it's a good Sunday. Yes. Yeah. So funny stat, and you're this is again we're sidebarring here, yes, but whatever. already we so, derailed like yeah. a minute into it. So the last time the Bengals won a playoff game was in 1991. The first text message was sent in 1992. So before yesterday, no one had ever sent a text message about the Bengals winning a playoff <laughs> football game. So there you go. That's, that's pretty good. Go. Yeah. Go. Um, that amazing laugh you just heard is our great friend, Sammy, from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Hey, welcome back. This is the first episode that you've been on the show for 2021. Do you have a good Christmas, New Year's good for it's- you? It's 2022, but 2022, excuse me. I'm still, are yeah. you guys still um, writing 2021 on everything? I am. I, I still do occasionally. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. It's great to be back on here with you guys. Uh, it's great to be back and be an active podcaster again. Yeah. So your show's hard. back too. You've had a couple yeah. of episodes now already. Yeah. The show's back. Unfortunately, I've missed a few things with you guys. I was supposed to be on the McGruber show. It was very sad for me, but I'm glad you both love McGruber as much as I do. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just good to be back and, uh, Oh, what a movie to talk about. Well, I, I gotta say real quick, uh, you, you came back, uh, with some thunder when you released a new episode of gentleman's guide and you and will went back to kind of list your favorite first time watches of 2021. That, that was a phenomenal episode. Um, and and I just kind of had a question before we a lot talked of about Troy movies on that list. Yeah, about about fifty or sixty percent of my list was recommended by Troy. <laughs> I hey, I'm I was happy that the stuff that I was recommending to you you liked, and it was you know yeah. it was good enough to make a list like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yep. but I, I'm just curious. I mean, this month we're we've been talking about films that came out in 2021 that bombed uh, in in the U.S. So. I think the first one we did, Raging Fire, internationally was a huge hit, and um, but but over in the U.S. it played in like 15 screens, didn't do so hot. And last week we talked about Suicide Squad, uh, and this got me thinking, Sammy, because you know you and Will were talking about first time watches um, from last year, and and I I feel, and I don't know how you guys feel. I had a lot of fun watching films last year because I discovered a lot of stuff, um, including the one we're talking about tonight. Uh, writers of justice 
So, but in general of the movies that got released for 2021, what are your guys' thoughts? I mean, was, was it a good year for movies? Was it uh, a bad year? Was it sort of middle of the road? Um, I, I think it was a good year for movies. I, I think we, I don't think it was a good year for big hits. And I think there's a number of factors for right. that, right? I mean, the pandemic is still uh, evolving. This whole thing's evolving. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the Donnie Yen episode. You guys were talking about Raging Fire, and I still haven't watched it yet. I plan on watching it soon. But, you know, it's it's just unfortunate that Donnie Yen just doesn't really... He's just not as... I mean, as big as he is here, he's just not as big. He's still kind of a cult star here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would have helped, obviously, if they put it on more screens, I think, too. I mean, I remember when it came out, the nearest screen to me that was showing Rage and Fire was in Cincinnati. Oh, so okay. That makes it slightly difficult for us Kentucky and Southern Indiana folk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They may have shown it in Indianapolis. I'm not sure, but. I think they did, but. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of the stuff we have to deal with down here. But I think overall it was a good year. I think independent cinema was good this year. I think world cinema was good this year. Um, and I honestly believe that some of the blockbusters that came out this year were really good. Usually blockbuster films don't make my top 10 list, but stuff like Dune and, uh, you know, uh, I didn't put Ghostbusters on my top 10 and my son asked me and I almost wish I would have because I did love Ghostbusters Afterlife and and uh, I loved two Marvel movies quite a bit. Uh, Spider-Man was great. Uh, I'll rep for return. I mean, I just think it was a good year. I mean, I, I don't know. A lot of people seem down on it, but I don't. I think it was a good year. What about you, Brad? I think movies are always a good year. You're always going to have way more good movies than you can watch in a year. Um, you might have to go out and find it. And we have to open up our kind of view on direct to streaming stuff. And I used to view that as um, sort of like direct to video or direct to the bargain bin sort of deal. But um you know, Don't Look Up was one of my favorite films of last year. That was direct to streaming. Um, I just watched uh, Tragedy of Macbeth straight to streaming. Like, well, I think it did get a release too, but it's mostly on Apple. Um, so you you got to work to find some stuff. Um, you have to be willing to maybe go outside the U.S. to find things. But I don't think it's possible to watch every good movie of every year. There's always going to be more good movies than time. And yeah. uh, 2021 was no different. Um, I will echo what Sammy said. Like Dune is one of my favorite films that I've seen in the last 10 years, just based strictly on like just the visuals of it. And I know you don't like green Knight as much as I do, but green Knight's another one that when you see it, you're like, I haven't seen anything that looks like this before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I so second that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think you gotta be willing to, to put in some time. But I always think every year is a good year for film. Um, we're always getting new stuff. The medium always getting pushed forward. I am a little concerned about the theater going experience. Um, it's one of my favorite activities. And um, the last two years, unfortunately, I have, haven't got to do it as much as I want to. But um, I hope that it comes back. And I hope that people support the smaller films and not just going out and seeing Spider-Man and Marvel films and all the big things. Um because I, I used to think, oh, that money is going to trickle down. But we all know the trickle down money doesn't right. work like that. It's uh, 
you know, they used to use all the money that they would make on billion dollar films and fund smaller films and take risk on stuff. But I don't think they're doing that anymore. So, um, yeah, man, I think it was a great year. I, I have, I, it was like at the end of the year, I had a really hard time putting together a list of 10 films. Cause I had like 25. I was like, this could be my top 10. If you ask me at yeah. any point in time, um, it's just kind of what I feel today. Yeah. yeah I, I agree with you both. I, I, 20, 2021 for me really felt like if, if you're, if you're watching movies for a hobby, it felt like the transitory year between the theatrical experience, the streaming experience. I, I, I feel it was, I, I, it's always been, I think, easy to, to search out movies, even outside of the mainstream box office and find international, et cetera. But, but maybe we're just to a point where it's really super easy. I mean, I was, I was looking at, you know, um, my phone and, um, my Roku and all stuff the other day and all the different apps I have for different genres of films and international films and, you know, criterion channel to shutter to Amazon prime. And, uh, I, I, I just really enjoyed the movie watching experience and the stuff that was coming out. There were a couple of subgenres I think I got a little tired of. I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind is the 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 girl assassin film. I mean, Ooh, how many yes. of those came out last year? Yeah. Um, and and don't get me wrong. I mean, I I love you know send me back to the eighties and nineties when Hong Kong was putting sort of the girls with gun movies out there with um, Moon Lee, Michelle Yeoh, Yukari Oshima. I I always love that stuff. But I don't know what it is about 2021. It I, I I think I just had enough of it from the mainstream stuff because it all felt very repetitive. But outside of a couple of little pockets like that, I I genuine I just was genuinely surprised with a lot of stuff. And there were some things I'm like, oh, I think I I'm gonna like that. And uh, I felt like you know Shang Chi. I was like, well, that's right up my alley. It, it's a comic book hero, and it's and it's one of my favorite comic book heroes. And I knew I would like it, but I didn't. I didn't know I was really going to love it as much as I did. And then there were so many surprises. Uh, and and the one we're going to talk about tonight is probably the biggest surprise. So you know, Brad's. You'll go through the details, but you know, just a little bit of backstory. This is a Danish film that was released in its home country in 2020, but technically, it's a 2021 release for for the U.S. And I, I know when we were putting a list together, I picked films that I'd seen and kind of won a champion from last year. Um, and this for me was was one of the biggest surprises. And and it was it was one I think when you were visiting here, Sammy, our, our good friend Randy was talking about this and sort of begging us to see it. We just couldn't squeeze it in. Yeah. Uh, and the minute this thing came out on Blu-ray, I picked it up and watched it. And immediately was like, oh, if, if in January we're doing a 2021 list, this is definitely one of my picks. But yeah, in uh, true Randy fashion, he was like, I'll take Landon. I'll go to Dave and Buster's or I'll go here <laughs> yeah. and you and Troy go see this movie. Yeah. He was that adamant about us seeing it to where he was going to take on some babysitting duties so that you and I would get two hours at the AFI because it, it was only playing at the AFI out here. Um, but yeah, tonight we're talking about uh, writers of justice directed by Anders Thomas Jensen. So, uh, Sammy, you've seen this twice now, correct? Yes. Okay. So this is this is my second viewing, and this was a first time watch for you, right, Brad? It was. I honestly didn't know anything about this movie, so when I turned it on and it 
started playing out the way it was playing out, I was really surprised because writers of justice could mean anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, I was really surprised at where it went, but yeah, I, I specifically tried to stay away from anything about this because it's, we've talked about doing this movie for a long time. We just needed to kind of fit it in the right month and it made sense for January. Yeah. I, we, we usually don't do a lot of plot synopsises or, or kind of talk about the narrative. Um, I feel like this is one of the films that when people run across it and they see the trailer, it's a Danish film, it's subtitled, uh, but it has a very unique premise. So do, do one of you want to kind of take a stab at like what, what the movie's about or, or I guess I can put it together. <laughs> uh, I'd like to hear one of you all take a stab at it. <laughs> um so i've i've got two summaries have you seen, have you seen taken and john wick because <laughs> it's kind of like those but different no go ahead troy yeah no 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 that's that's a good start i mean it is a, a little bit of cohen brothers in there a little uh-huh. bit of yeah yeah I, I i i miss the chair that has the dildo that goes up and down <laughs> that oh my george goodness. clooney makes <laughs> no no it's not that um oh, not that one okay no 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 uh i i I mean, at its at its surface, it is a uh, father um, who is in the military and his wife ends up dying in a train accident and his daughter is a survivor uh, and she dies because a mathematician gives up his seat and there, there's two trains that collide as the movie goes on and, and they're grieving. I feel like you're placing. I think. Wait, hold on. Time yep. out. I feel like you're placing blame because you said mathematician, like you're, you're blaming that <laughs> oh, guy. Not blaming, you're the the math. not blaming the mathematician. Not blaming the mathematician. So he's feeling guilty. Just because you hate math yeah, doesn't mean it's yeah. his fault. No, I'm not saying that. But um, uh, what ends up happening is he kind of feels guilty about it because he's a survivor as well. And uh, if he had not given up his seat, then, then he would have died in the accident. But he, you know, comes to a discovery that uh, he thinks that it's not actually an accident because there is a person on the train that was going to testify against a group called the Writers of Justice, and he thinks it was a planned accident to take out this guy, this informer, and his attorney. And so he reaches back out to um, uh, the military father and kind of puts this all in front of him. And the military father doesn't know how to deal with this grief and decides he's just going to take out the entire writers of justice. So I like your analogy, Brad. It, it is a little bit like taken or your typical yeah, he has a certain set of skills has certain set of skills. And, and so you could either say it's, it's one of those or another great description is um, the movie is about how a little girl gets a blue bicycle for Christmas. Yes, yes, yeah. you could. Yeah, so uh, I think both of those two summaries are are what the movie's yeah. about. I can go it, deeper than that. I can it say gets, that. it gets it stolen. Right? <laughs> it gets it yeah, stolen. There's a chain yeah. of events, and not yeah. every, nothing is coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing is coincidence. I can go further and say that it is a film about improbability, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. It's it's, it's uh, a math movie. It's a math movie. It's <laughs> those well, statisticians out there, boy, they're gonna, they're gonna rock it. hard watching okay. this. One. Well, no, no, because like I I have had meetings with people where I'm talking about analytics and, and giving them probabilities of if we do this, you know, risk is going to do this and all this stuff. And it, it kind of goes against that because he, the guy kind of learns that actually you can't 
form like algorithms to predict things and things do happen at random and there are things that just happen. Um, you know, and he, he starts talking at one point in time about she made these choices and then he made a choice and like this world of like infinite. What's the, what's the DC thing? Uh, crisis on infinite earth where, you know, if you make a decision here, like, but anyway, you know, it, so it kind of says, well, yeah, we could waste all of our time doing all that mathy math, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So I was like, Troy oh. is really liking oh, the yeah. takedown of algorithms <laughs> and stats and everything. Yeah, well, what's key is one of the characters at one point says numbers don't lie, but the difference is human beings do. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So that's that's what the movie's about. Everything that we talked about, I mean, you could which is I cannot wait to kind of share our thoughts on this, but this is one that um, if, if we're talking to our listeners and I, I know some folks, you know, they may pick and choose movies that we recommend. Um, and, and I'm just going to put myself out there and say, do not skip this one. Um, full disclosure. If, if I'm making a list of the top films of 2021 that were released, this would be number one for me. So I'm just, I'm wearing it on my sleeve. Um, it was no, It was number two for me. Oh, okay, cool. So um, I'm curious what you think, uh, Brad, but let's let's go through the, the regular uh, protocol here. And we always start with, you know, the numbers when this was released, how did it do? And so, you know, throw some math at us, Brad. How, what are we looking at here? Yeah, um, strictly U.S. release here. We're talking about May 14th of 2021 with a reported budget of $6.4 million. That is in U.S. dollars. Um, its total box office gross was $1.9 million. So we have $77,000 in the U.S. $77,000. So that, that 1.7 is worldwide gross? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. One okay. point, so and internationally, it made $1.8. Um, some of the articles I was seeing had it making about $7 million. I could not find anything math-wise to back that up. So I'm <laughs> going with $1.9 million. That's 77 domestic, 1.8 internationally, which makes sense. This is a Danish film. Um, It's opening weekend. It is released in 17 theaters in the United States, and it makes a whopping $15,000. Randy's dollars are in that because I think think you saw it the first weekend. Um, Yeah, that's an average of... $908 $908 per screen, which is pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when we talk about uh, marketing and stuff like that, we were like, you know, it's usually a two X to the budgets or to the production budget. This thing did not have a two X uh, marketing budget. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Um, that was good enough for 29th um, for the month of, or for the weekend of May 14th through the 16th. Again, Wow. Still going through a pandemic at the time, um, but I believe well, theaters were pretty open during the summer. So, um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say again. I mean, the main selling point. The only thing I, I mean, as a movie buff, you see the poster, and I think that's a Mads Mikkelsen movie. I need to see that. Yep. But I show that poster to my wife, and she's like, "Whatever." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I it mean, looks the, like a, the, it looks like it does look like a ripoff, like Taken film. To be perfectly honest with you. It's a pretty he simple like poster. Military man. He looks like military yeah. man with guns. There's there's so. nothing on this poster that tells you anything about the film other than 
he's on it and it's called writers of justice uh it is the most bland boring marketing piece you could put together but i will say the saving grace for this movie rotten tomatoes the critics have this at a 96 percent on rotten tomatoes with the audience score of 88 percent so pretty close together there okay um Nice that the critics uh, like this as much as Troy and Sammy do. Um, films that were released May of 2021, which was, God, seven months ago. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> we have uh, Bo, Bert, Bo Burnham, The Inside, which I think is a really fascinating uh, piece of art. I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, Cruella. Cruella. Uh, we have the... Friends reunion guys, remember when that happened? Oh yeah, HBO Max there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dream Horse. Does anyone remember a thing called Dream Horse? Is that uh, an animated the, film? No, no, it is not. That's that has the Tony Collette film. Yeah, Tony Collette film. I've yeah. been wanting to see that. I've heard it's pretty good. I okay. like Tony Collette a lot. So. Yeah. Uh, the biggest piece of garbage of all time: Army of the Dead. <laughs> we Sorry, know one Jose. person who would disagree. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, Universally garbage, hot yeah. garbage. So, uh, spiral, uh, those who wish uh, me dead, which I actually like that movie quite a bit. And I like it's B moviness. Yeah. Um, there's another movie called the Dijin, D J I N Dijin. the woman in the window, which is apparently pretty bad. I haven't seen. Does anyone see that? Mm-mm. No. There's a whole. What I'm hearing here is definitely pandemic releases, right? Yeah. 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 A whole bunch uh, of streaming stuff here. Yeah. Uh, Wrath of Man, which we were going to try to do this month, uh, but we ended up kind of moving it. And that's about it. Which I so, think that had a one week release and then it was available on iTunes the next week. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff was doing that um, during this time. It was like, get the people who want to see it and then we'll get everyone else after that. Yeah. Um, so those are your numbers for writers of justice. So Cruella was the big one out of that, right? Yeah. Which uh, Randy pushed on us really hard. And that on that same trip when I was up there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like, I, I think it's fine. It's weird that the mother has a back a weird backstory, but anyway, yeah. um, Landon likes it a lot. I had to buy it. <laughs> I bought it for him and he, he enjoys it quite a bit. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, I, I will watch it because Brandy reps for it pretty hard, but uh, I, I just haven't squeezed it in yet. Every, everything that I've seen for this movie has it listed as genres, action, comedy, and drama. Yeah. Comedy. Comedy. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's talk real quick about the people who made the film and starred in it. And I guess we'll start with the director, Anders Thomas Jensen. I think it's Jensen. Jensen. Yeah. So we're going to butcher a lot of names. We've already technically... Like a Swedish chef on here. Yeah. Norgen Schnorgen. Um. Anders Thomas Jensen. So he made his film debut in 1996 with the short films. So there are a couple of them. Cafe Hector, David's Book, Restless Heart, and Ernest and Lysit. So that last one, Ernest and Lysit, was actually nominated for an Academy Award uh, for a short film. Um, The following year, Jensen wrote and directed Wolfgang, 1997, which also earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Short Film. And then in 1998, he did a film called Election Night 
that one was nominated for best short film and he ended up winning an Academy Award. So he is an Academy Award winner. Okay. Uh, he, I didn't know that. Yes. He's Academy Award winner. He's, you know, nominated three times one for one of those. Now in terms of big screen, he comes on the scene and, and we'll talk about um, a little bit of his background when we talk about the screenplay. So he, he was a screenwriter first uh, in making short films before he was directing like major films. But his first film is 22 years old. It's called Flickering Lights. It came out in 2000. Have, have you guys seen this? No, but I know oh, you yeah. have. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was on sale. Oh, yeah, I know you watched it today. <laughs> I did watch it today. The, the premise of it is these four sort of um, thugs uh, who are on a job end up taking the money and sort of screwing over their boss and trying to escape town. And their car breaks down in like the middle of nowhere in this rural uh, part of the country. They stumble across an abandoned like farm slash restaurant and as they're hiding out, they decide to renovate uh, this restaurant and open it up while uh, the, the mob guys are looking for them. And uh, what you'll find is in all the films that he directs, uh, Moss Mikkelsen is in all of them. So every film that he's done, Moss has been in, and, and Moss is in this one. He's pretty unre- unrecognizable in this as well. Uh, he goes on three years later to do The Green Butchers, and then a couple of years later, Adam's apples. Now you've seen Adam's apples, right, Rick? Yeah. One of our listeners back when, uh, uh, we started the Kringle and stuff. One of our listeners sent me a copy of Adam's apples and, uh, it's very solid. I would highly recommend it. I did not know until I watched writers of justice that I had seen a film by Jensen before. So. Well, yeah, and th- that's kind of a hard DVD to get a hold of right now. So I think yeah. it's out of print. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I think I got a laying around here somewhere. Oh, sweet. Uh, now, 10 years later, he does Men and Chicken in 2015. Now, what's funny about this one is I have been si- This was an Alamo Draft House Blu-ray release. And I remember being at the Alamo and they used to sell Blu-rays, DVDs and stuff at the at the counter when you went. And I, I picked this thing up because it was on sale, but it's been sitting in my shelf for years. And as soon as I was putting, you know, I was putting these notes together and I go, Men and Chicken, I that title sounds really familiar. And I went downstairs through the, you know, big two watch pile, found it. And I'm like, Oh, I should probably watch that one this week. So as a matter of fact, I've, I've watched three Jensen films. I, I watched men and chicken started with that one. Then uh, went back and watched writers of justice for the show. And then this morning did uh, flickering lights. And I got to tell you, uh, Anders is now like one of my favorite directors. I, I cannot wait to go back through the rest of this filmography. Flickering lights was fantastic. Men and chicken. Now you saw this one too, right? Sammy. Yeah. I watched it uh, yesterday. What did you think about that? Uh, I loved it. I really (laughs) did. It was such a bizarre film in a lot of ways, very dark comedically, uh, which seems to be a Jensen staple. It seems to me that his idea of funny is certainly on the dark side of things. Yes. Uh, and very blunt. And uh, it's, but it's, but he, his films, at least in the three I've seen, they're funny and they seem maybe a bit vacuous on the surface, but they're actually quite deep. Oh yeah. 
And I catch myself getting caught up in his characters emotionally quite a bit. I mean, I love, I loved all the characters in men and chicken as much as I love them in uh, riders of justice, man, the men and chicken brothers are great. <laughs> I, it is so, so I've recommended this, our, our good friend, uh, Alex, who does the friends with Cinefits, he watched it this week too. And, um, you know, he sent a text back as well after watching it. Uh, and, and he had pretty much the same reaction, like, oh my God, that was so weird. <laughs> um, it was absolutely hilarious. I mean, verbatim, this was his text. That was so weird. It's like a mix between Shutter Island, Brigsby Bear, and what we do in the shadows. Mads was so good. With Dr. Moreau and potentially a few other things mixed in. Yeah, I, it, it's very slapsticky. Uh, it, it has, I don't know, there are elements that remind me of the Farley Brothers. Um, it's the only film I've ever seen where people use taxidermy as a weapon. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> um, and, and possibly the world's largest stew pot. Yes. <laughs> uh, outside, of, outside of Legend, if you've seen Legend. Maybe. Yeah, but Brad, you have to check out Men and Chick. It's just a must watch. Like, okay. yeah. ASAP. Yeah, I would definitely tell Brad. It's on Hulu if you have that. Oh, I do have on, Hulu. Okay. Yeah, it's on Canopy as well. So. Okay. Um, so Anders also wrote the screenplay for this. Now, if you go to IMDb, I think uh, Nicola Arsel is credited as Idea By. But uh, Anders Thomas um, wrote Writers of Justice. He came to the big screen sort of first as a script writer. So back in 1998, he had three movies like Baby Doom. Albert and Nogleborn, Danish word. Um, he has 59 writing credits. Flugel, Flugelhorn. Flugelhorn. <laughs> he has 59 writing credits, which is crazy to me. And then I was, you know, kind of going through the rest of filmography and didn't realize that he was a screenwriter for, um, well, you know, a couple of American films. So he did the screenplay for The Dark Tower in 2017. The, the Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, we know, we know, we know about that. Okay. Um, the Duchess. Have any, us, have any of us seen that? I have. I, I, I saw it. Yeah. It's, wow. it's not great. You guys it'll, are braver than me. At some point in time, it'll, if we keep doing this podcast, we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to talk about it. Yeah. At some point in time. <laughs> um, he did the Duchess in 2008. And so he also wrote the screenplay for brothers. Now brothers was a 2004 Danish film and it was remade in 2009 with Jake Gyllenhaal, Natalie Portman and Tobey Maguire. Oh, I have seen that. Yep. So that's his screenplay too. Uh, and cinematographer Casper Tuxen, the only thing that on his, uh, resume that I recognized was a 2010 film called beginners with Ewan McGregor and Christopher Plummer, which is really good. Check that one out. Yeah, it's great. I love that film. Uh, but yeah, I, I, what I love about movies is running across this type of talent and then all of a sudden going, oh, I want to I want to check something out from this guy. And um, when I when I watched Men and Chicken and just fell in love with it, it it's just right up my alley comedically. And my wife loved it. So she absolutely loved Men and Chicken. And then I'm like, oh, Flickering Lights is $2 on Amazon. I better buy that one and watch it. And uh, so far, this guy is batting, you know, a thousand. He's three for three. And, uh, you know, those two other films are fantastic. You got to check them out. Did she watch uh, Riders of Justice or did you watch that one by yourself? Again? She's watched it twice now. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. So yeah, which maybe she should me. be on this podcast and not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Brad. We're good. <laughs> Trust me. 
You settle down, Flugelhorn. Yes, that'd be weird if I got a pink slip on, like, while we're recording. That'd be weird. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have something to talk about, Brad. Ooh, performance review time. Performance right, review. Go. Yep. <sighs> well, let's talk about some of the folks in front. We we got to talk about um, now. You, <laughs> the proper way I believe to say his name is Moss Mikkelsen. Yeah. But everybody is silent, like him and Django. Yep. So, but but everybody I th- that I know refers to him as yeah. Mads Mickelson. Yeah, everybody calls him Mads. Yep. Uh, big big fan. I, I honestly, I just never really paid attention to this guy outside of he's a bad guy that shows up in American films. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm lucky enough that I have seen a lot of Mads Mickelson stuff, and uh, that's probably because I really enjoy Danish films and Scandinavian cinema. He works with um, uh, quite a few people uh, often. He works with uh, Thomas Vinterberg a lot. And uh, the film Thomas Vinterberg did a few years back called The Hunt. Yeah. Is really great with him in it. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I don't know for sure if he's worked with Lars von Trier or not. Seems like he would have uh, if he hasn't. But Nicholas Winding Refn, he worked with him. Oh, yeah. Well, now, and, and if anybody's listened to our podcast over the history of our podcast, we kind of have a relationship with Refn in a way because we, he's one of the few directors where we've actually kind of covered his films as they kind of come out because they're usually quite unique. Um, and uh, we, we, me and Will actually saw Mads and Nicholas at uh, Toronto at the TIFF festival. It was pretty great because Mads was all dressed up like a cowboy for some random reason. I don't know. <laughs> he didn't have a hat on, but he had boots on and everything else. But He's in the Pusher films, and I highly recommend uh, Pusher, the first one, and the second one, and the third one. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I don't know if he's in all. I think he's in Pusher 1 and 2. I don't think he's in Part 3. But definitely check the Pusher films out. They're great Scandinavian kind of drug films. I mean, Mads can do anything. I've been wanting to watch Arctic really bad, and I haven't got around to it. And I was going to try to watch it before we did um, this show, but I didn't get to it, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I gotta. So, Casino Royale, I think, is the first time I recognized him as Le Chiff, and that came yep. out in two thousand six. Yep. Uh, Valhalla Rising, I remember that two thousand nine, which is a difficult film to say the least. It is. Yep, he got a lot of notoriety for the TV series Hannibal because he plays Hannibal Lecter. Sure, that's um, thing in America he's probably most known for. Well, well that or maybe Doctor Strange and Rogue One. He was in those that came out in twenty sixteen. Yeah. I think uh, Netflix uh, people will know him from a film that came out in 2019, Polar, which mm, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. I heard some mixed things about it. I never got around to it. It's fun. I mean, it's it's all right. It's kind of weird. In the same year, he put out a film called Polar and Arctic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're right. I, I I didn't know this. He was originally a gymnast and dancer. He's in a Rihanna video. So. Um, and and I guess that's an ongoing joke with him with interviews and stuff. He started acting in 1996. Um, Pusher, the film that you were talking about, Sammy, was, uh, I believe, his first film. And at that point in 1996, he was 31 years old. So he came into acting sort of late in his career. But from 31 on to now, it is absolutely crazy how much stuff he's been putting out. But yeah, started as a gymnast and dancer, showed up in a Rihanna video, has been putting out a lot of product. I, I've been on a Moss um, kick this week too, because the other film that I decided to check out on top of the ones that Anders had done uh, was Another Round from 2020. So that came out the same year. Have you guys checked that one out yet? 
I started watching it and uh, got interrupted. So definitely I've not watched it yet. But it isn't also called Drunk as well or something like that. Yeah, I think uh, the original title or the Scandinavian title is Drunk or something. Okay. Like that. Yeah, uh, it's another one I I can't recommend enough. Um, and Tabitha loved that one too. She sat down and watched it with me. Well, the the premise is right up her alley. It's about four teachers who decide to. Uh, go to work and just be totally drunk and maintain a certain alcohol level to see if um, they do better. There's a lot about Tabitha. We might not want the board to hear this conversation. Uh, Yeah, it's, I got to tell you, man, it, it's a, it's a great film. It really, and and it's another, um, you wouldn't recognize uh, Moss in, in that one either. And yeah. man, talk about a performance. I mean, another round, I, I think that was the one where I'm like, I, I think I really like this guy. And then as soon as I, you know, watch these other Anders films, I'm like, okay, well, he's, it, it, I, I made a decision this week. He's probably top five, uh, best actor working today. Yeah, no, he's great. I've, I've been in love with him for a long time and, and I think he's, uh, one of the best actors working today. He can do so much with just a small little gesture which is a, a trait that not very many actors have. And uh, we'll talk about this when we talk about this film. He doesn't show a lot of emotion, but there are moments when he just kind of shifts his eyes and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he can do a lot. He's a very powerful actor, but he's also he's very versatile. He can be very funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, he can be completely over the top and strange like in Men and Chicken. Uh, where he's a habitual masturbator in that. I mean, it's a, it's a bizarre <laughs> performance. It's got a hair lip and everything. It's, yeah. it's out there. And a fro. Like you do, I, it took, he's on screen for like 15 minutes and I did not recognize him at all. Yeah. And then when you see something like another round where he's playing a, you know, sort of a, a school teacher, you know, in, in his 50, it, it, he's fantastic. I mean, every role you, you really see an actor kind of get lost in it, but um, yeah. He's got bad guy looks, so it's kind of it's going to be tough for him to ever kind of break it in the states as a uh, anything more than the heavy. I think I don't think he'd ever be anything more, unfortunately, than the heavy because he just has a very stilted, angular face. And even though I think he's great in everything I've seen, uh, I just don't know if he'd ever, he'll ever make it big here. Well, Am I the done. only one who's seen that Chaos Walking? Oh no, he was in that too, wasn't he? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. If you like Mads, uh, let's uh, let's don't see that one. And has anyone seen at eternity uh, at eternity's gates? It has mm-hmm. him, Willem Dafoe, Oscar Isaacs. I'm like, how am I never heard of this? And it's got like five of my favorite actors in it of all time. I know of the film, but I've never seen it. Oh, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna have to check it out. Pushing that on the list. I'd say anything Mads or Moss, however you want to say it, is in is worth looking at because he looks for quality stuff. Even though I didn't love Dr. Strange, uh, he was great in it. Um, I mean, he, he's good in everything. And I think he, he really pushes himself into different roles all the time. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And since he's Dutch, he's, he's always going or Danish. He's always going to be um, a bad guy. Cause we can't, we can't use the Russians now. We can't use the Chinese. They can't use yeah. the Korean. So really it's um, the Swiss, uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, just really those. If if it's a northern white guy who has a, a, a thick accent, we can use them as a villain. I think going forward. In short, do you know the Rihanna video that he was in? Isn't it like, bitch, better have my money or something like yep. that? Yeah, bitch, better have my money. Yeah, 
So, yeah, he's he's the, uh, the accountant. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, real quick, just want to mention the other key players that I think we're going to talk about in front of the screen. So we have Andrea Hike Gedberg as Matilda. So she's the daughter, right? We have Nicola Laikas as Otto. So he's the mathematician who gives up his seat on the train. We've got Lars Bergman as Lenart. He's uh, Otto's fellow mathematician who's good at hacking, and he also works with Otto. They're both let go at the beginning of the film. Yes. Uh, Nicholas Bro as, uh, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait. Emmenthaler? Emmenthaler? Emmenthaler. Emmenthaler. Okay. So he is the facial recognition expert who's very particular <laughs> about uh, the resolution on his monitors. Okay. Yes. Yes. Very particular. <laughs> and the last one I want to mention is uh, Gustav Lin as Bodashka. So he's the kid that was sold into the sex trafficking ring. Okay. So those are our, Again, our major players. I'm telling your listeners now, dark comedy. <laughs> dark comedy. You're listening to this just on the summary we tried to do, which it's either a revenge film like Taken or a girl getting a bicycle. I mean, it's it's either one of those two films. And then hey, when is you, this a Christmas movie? Uh, well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, these are the main players here. So our protagonists, right? Yeah. Uh, and we should say that Jensen tends to use these guys over and over again. Yes. He, he very much has a working troop of actors that he loves to use. And the gentleman that plays the Nicolaj Haas or Kass, whatever his name is, who plays Otto in this, I think has been in everything he's done along with, along with Moss. Yes. I think Nic Nicholas bro has been in most everything. He's the heavy set guy. Yep. Um, I think Leonard, I think he's kind of new to the ensemble. They tend to use another actor more often. I guess he couldn't work with him this time, but he uses these same actors over and over again, and uh, they very much have a. You can feel with the the work that they have very much a a family atmosphere. At least I I feel that. I, I think that, and I think I think Anders will also write parts specifically for these folks too. So you can definitely tell that these actors and actresses they own their part because I think Anders has in his mind as he's writing this specifically. I'm, I'm writing it for, um, Lars or, or Nicholas or something of that nature. So, uh, and I just want to bring this up before we kind of share our thoughts on the film. This thing actually got a lot of different awards through critic associations, et cetera. But, um, I'm, I want to talk about two specific awards, um, when this thing came out in 2020. So the Bodil awards, so the Bodil awards are like the major Danish film awards given by the Danish film critics. Uh, this was nominated for best film and best supporting actress. It won best supporting actor. Um, in uh, who, for who? It, well, when I looked this up, it said, um, let me make sure <laughs> bedstay men, Mendil Birol. Is that the one that uh, plays the Russian cowboy? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Cause I'm looking, I don't, I, 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 I Man, I should have done more research. But yeah, so the one that the Danish Film Awards, this is where it gets really crazy. It was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Actor, Moss, Best Actor, um, Nicola, Best Costume Design, Best Sound, Best Director, Best Production Design, Best Makeup, and Best Film. So it was nominated for all those awards. It won Best Supporting Actor, uh, Lars Brigman. 
uh, won Best Actress. So Gade Berg um, took that one home, the daughter. It won Best Original Score and won Best Visual Effects. So this thing at the Danish Film Awards was like a, a heavy hitter. And, and critically, if you go back and look at a lot of like the, the Florida critics and San Francisco, all of that stuff, this, this film showed up on a lot of lists in 2021 in terms of, of top films, especially from, from the Critics Awards. I'll say this. When I think about this film, I don't think about visual effects. Um, there are a couple of interesting visual effects, I think, with some of the squid work or, you know, the, oh, yeah. the violence and stuff that comes out. It, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, but again, for, <laughs> for the Danish Film Awards, that was <laughs> yeah. probably like some of the best visual effects out there, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So we were talking before the uh, episode started about Sammy's beard looking a lot like Mad Mickelson's beard in this movie. I was reading that it only took Mads two months to grow that nice, luscious beard. Sammy, how long did it take you to grow yours like that? Uh, I'm, I'm probably three or four months. Takes okay. a little bit longer. A little bit longer. As someone who doesn't grow facial hair, great. Um, I'm, I'm jealous of any time I see a luscious beard like that. So, yeah. yeah, Having a beard's a lot of work. You know, for all of our listeners and for your listeners and everybody out there that decides to go the beard route, just be prepared. It's it's uh, it's no joke. Yeah. Well, I I you look at this poster. I I figure it almost looks like your face is on this poster. <laughs> just an American. Yeah. I, I could be. Yeah, they could put my face on there, and yeah. uh, I I could probably <laughs> I could probably be there. <laughs> I think so. Well, okay. This is the part I've really been dying to discuss because I've seen this film twice now. What surprised me is when, when I'm sitting down to watch it again, Tab is like, oh, you're watching that? I'm, I'm going to jump in and watch that. And she's been on this whole um, Moss Mikkelsen film festival I've done this week. I think the only one she didn't watch with me was uh, Flickering Lights because I watched that in the morning. She happened to be asleep. But uh, I want to start with you, Brad. So you're a first timer coming to this. Uh, Sammy and I have seen it now twice. But I'm, I'm really curious what your initial thoughts are on Writers of Justice. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was joking earlier. I was like, hey, have you seen Taken? Have you seen John Wick? This is kind of one of those revenge movies, but there's a lot of way more depth to this movie than I was anticipating than just like, hey, this is a revenge film. Um, I like the aspect that they're they're kind of wrong in this movie and there's consequences for that. Um, I like that Mads is this cold character that I'm still kind of wondering how much he changes at the end. Um, and yeah. I kind of like that. They just, he, he is who he is. Um, but the supporting people around uh, the Mads character are, are some of the best I think I've seen in a movie in a long time. And I think that's where I got a lot of my joy from it's hard uh, with Mads character to get joy from him because he's so cold and sort of walled off. Um, the auto character is great. The, uh, the big guy, I thought obviously that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. Um, he's got this weird thing about resolution of screen and power of PCs and um, his French it, horn. It, yeah, French horn. Um, even as the even reading the subtitles, all that stuff came off as really funny. And um, 
even his kind of obsession with guns. And then there's a moment in the film and they really don't harp on it very much, but they go to a guy's house and something happens and you can see him kind of start taking out some frustration on this guy that obviously it wasn't the guy directly to him, but it was people like him making fun of him and bullying him around. And the movie just kind of has this little two minute thing where he is just kicking this guy while he's dead. And you can get a lot of character development just after that, just through that moment of knowing that this guy being the fat guy that he is, has been tormented his whole entire life. And he finally gets a little bit of piece of, Hey, how do you like it? Um, And those are kind of the best moments of this film. Um, Just those little character moments that you get one guy, um, you know, killed his daughter in a, through a drunk driving accident. Um, It has a small arm. I won't use the word that they use in this movie because it's offensive, but um, yeah, it's, uh, the depth of this movie was really uh, surprising because again, I was going in thinking this guy was going to have a certain set of skills and the body count was going to be really high. And, um, you know, we were just going to go for a two hour revenge story and that was going to be it. Um, and that's not what this movie is. Um, there's a, a litany of plots and subplots and, and it's kind of a fascinating movie to watch. And I'm, ready to watch it again because i know i missed a lot um obviously reading the subtitles you you miss a little bit here and there but there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie and i really was taken aback by just how enthralled i was i i watched this this morning because my kids were gone and i was just able to sit there and just watch it uninterrupted and it was one of those things where i was like completely just kind of turned off everything else and was just, this is what I'm doing. And um, this movie did not disappoint me at all. Um, I didn't see this till 2022. I didn't see it till this morning, but if I had to go back, I would, I would definitely put this in my top 10 for last year. It's a, it's a, it's a cool movie, man. Um, And there are moments where violence happens and it's, uh, it's also really cool. The gunplay is, uh, is really nice. Like I, (laughs) I'm not a gun person in real life, but dude, I love guns and movies and uh, this is uh, pretty nice. So awesome. Yeah. That, that makes me happy, man. All right, Sammy, what, what's your take? Well, I, I will say that uh, the movie is just as good a second time around and uh, maybe even better. Um, I agree with a lot of what Brad says. I mean, this is a, a Moss Mickelson film, but he is really the machine and everything around him is kind of the, you know, all the, the parts that help that machine go. There's a lot of character, a lot of character in all these other kind of background fi- figures that are in this film. And they are, there's not one character, I think, in this film who's boring. I think every character is interesting. The, the Russian cowboy is even interesting. He has a nice character arc. Uh, the, the daughter has a character arc. Leonard, um, Ementhaler has a, 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 a nice arc. Otto has one of the most heartbreaking scenes and some of the best acting I have seen all year when Mickelson confronts him because Mickelson's ruthless in this film. He's clearly, oh, yeah. a character. he's clearly a man who has lost all faith in humanity altogether. 
he didn't really want to have kids. He had kids. He's just, as he's gotten older and he's in the military and stuff, he just, he doesn't believe in anything. And he has some really tough conversations with his daughter conversations that I wouldn't have with my kids. The comparison to God and Santa was, uh, was shocking. Yeah. I mean, I imagine at some point I'll have certain kinds of conversations with my kids, but his ruthlessness, his kind of cutthroat way of getting to the point. Uh, I'll tell you what, can I just interrupt for a second? A great example of it. And my wife talked about this. I, I could not ever imagine saying this to another person when his daughter who's grieving for her mom says, I am so sad because she's alone. And his response to that is she's not alone. She's nothing. She doesn't exist now. I mean, you want to talk about a cruel, just, yeah. And and this is a guy who has obviously PTSD and he's dealing with that on his own, but that response at sort of the beginning of the film is one of the best written lines I, I, and, and it's delivered so well to where, you know, exactly where, where Maz's character is at that point with that line. Mm-hmm. And there's the whole kind of subplot of dealing with grief that's going on here. At some point they're kind of, they kind of play a trick essentially on his daughter, Matilda, about telling her that, uh, these are grief counselors and they're doing role play and, and this, these kinds of things, which is a great angle. Cause it leads to a lot of great comedy, but I like, it's funny. My favorite two films from last year deal with grief. And I don't know why that is. I don't know where that came from. And I find it very odd, but I like how they find a way for the Moss Mickelson character to, to process grief here. It's not a very realistic way. It's a movie way, clearly. Right. But I agree with Brad too. And also another thing I, you know, I, I, I don't like guns in real life. I'm not a gun guy. I don't have anything against anybody having guns. Uh, if you buy them legally and everything else, you, you know, I'm an American, but I don't want to say anything bad here or, or good, but I, I'll just tell you that I don't have a problem with it, but I do not like violence in real life. And I don't ever shoot anything. I, I have shotguns and I have enjoyed shooting guns, but I don't own any guns, but man, I love guns and movies. I just love them. Uh, they're great storytelling implements and it is what it is. The violence here is hard and, and ruthless and quick and nasty. Um, so if any of your listeners are like turned off a little bit by, uh, graphic violence, I would say the violence is pretty graphic here. Yeah. I would say it's, it's pretty nasty. I mean, we're talking headshots. I mean, it's a juicy movie, no doubt. And, uh, but it also deals with violence, uh, and the repercussions of violence. Emmenthaler really thinks he wants to shoot somebody. He really is that angry. He really wants to shoot somebody, but when confronted with the opportunity, like so many people, he freezes. And uh, there's a great little discussion that uh, Mads has where he says, you know, it's really hard to shoot somebody, especially the first time. Mm-hmm. But violence is all throughout. Like people will punch each other, but they'll still forgive. There's a dark, again, this is the dark comedy aspect of the film. There's a dark aspect where the Leonard character may have been sexually abused when he was a kid or something. Yeah. Because at one point for defense against Mads, he pulls his pants down for a spanking in the middle of a field of corn or of uh, uh, harvested corn. A very bizarre moment, a moment where my son almost walked in and out of context. I have no idea how, to- <laughs> yeah, yeah. how do you explain that one? What are you yeah. watching, Dad? Oh, just a lighthearted revenge comedy. <laughs> and that kind of goes back to those character moments I was talking about. You 
kind of have to infer his backstory with that moment. Like, well, what does that even mean? He comes out and, and has a moment because he's so fascinated with that barn, right? Yes. Uh, that yeah. that's a running kind of joke through the whole thing, but he makes a comment about being taken out to the barn with his like uncle or something of that nature. So it's yeah, easy. I, th- to, I thought it was more of a, like a molestation sort of thing. Yeah. It's easy to put the pieces together because they're sprinkling it throughout. And like you said, Sammy, when you get to that, that point where he is, he just freaks out and he's in the middle of this field and he drops down and does that. And Moss is going to tear him up but it stops him cold. And he's like, I, I don't know what to do. This yeah. guy is crying in the middle of the field with his pants down, yeah. um, apologizing. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it is a great character moment because it's telling you everything you, you know about the backstory of how this guy got to where he's at. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing about the movie. It is a revenge movie. It is a revenge movie. It is a bit of an action movie. It's going to satisfy those elements. It is a very dark, dark, dark comedy. I do think it's funny. Um, but it's dealing with dark subject matter for its comedy. And it might not be for everybody. It might be a little rough around the edges for some folks. I mean, some of the funniest moments involve the Russian cowboy. I think <laughs> one of the funniest conversations is the one between him and Leonard in the barn when he's like, you know, do you want to do oh, this? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, nope, nope, that's okay. And he's like, thank you for not doing that to my butt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I laugh every single time. And, but it's really dark stuff, right? I mean, this, this is a, a young man who's come over to uh, Denmark, I guess, and has found himself in the sex trade. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's terrible. It's a terrible situation to and, be and in. And his mom sold him into yeah, that. Yeah. It's awful. But he ends up to be one of the sweetest characters in the movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he does these little chores around the house and stuff. And he has these moments with Matilda and stuff that are really sweet. And I just, these characters, I just loved spending time with them. The story is great. I mean, the heavies are good. They're, they're not, they're not too substantial, but they're there. They're good. Everything's good that way. They're man. all white guys with shaved heads. It's hard yeah. to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, the, but it, I liked hanging out with these characters because they, they had such great camaraderie. And such great moments. And, you know, the Ementhaler and Leonard characters not liking each other uh, because of disagreements and stuff. But they actually kind of love each other because, you know, you hear that one moment in the beginning where he's like, I, I, I break into the fitness things because you don't know about Ementhaler has a bad back. And I sign him up for Pilates and things like that. And he's like, you don't even know your people. Yeah. And that gets me to the other thing. As much as I love Mads in this film, I really love the actor who plays Otto. He has so many great moments of reactional comedy in this, where he just kind of looks, uh, you know, at Mads or he looks at somebody or somebody will say something. And he's like looking at Mads like, oh, God, he's going to kill us. Yeah. But that moment when Mads says, like, you protected your daughter, uh, when, you know, he admits that he had drunk, was drinking, that tear that rolls down his eye, I cried twice. Both times I watched the film, when that tear rolls down his eye, I cry every time. Yeah. And I mean, it, it is some amazing. I think some of the best acting all year I saw. And uh, he is really, really good in this film. He does have a uh, kind of a CGI arm. Uh, that was a little distracting. I'm not going to lie. It was a little distracting. Um, but he is really, really good in this film. Uh, and uh, he has some really nice moments. Um, and I can't believe it's the same actor that was in Men and Chicken. I cannot even. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing person. to me, man, to watch those films. <laughs> totally back different. Back. Yeah. Well, him and Mads and even Nicholas Bro. Nicholas Bro. The only thing that gave away Nicholas Bro for me in Men and Chicken versus this film is the run. He's got yes. a certain way of running that's very odd. <laughs> He's a big heavy guy. But 
Uh, Man, I really enjoyed watching this movie the second time. And this is a movie that I'll watch over and over and over again. Like, this is like a, it's like Fargo or uh, something like that. If I'm in the mood for dark, funny, violent, strange in tone kind of films, this is, this one's like right up there. Yeah, it is very Coen Brothers like that for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with all of your comments. <laughs> this is a really entertaining movie with some deep philosophical questions being presented throughout the entire runtime. Uh, on the surface, I think it's a really, really good, um, just a great action comedy film. It, it fits those genres perfectly. At its core, uh, however, the movie is about men of routine, structure, logic, and data being forced to deal with life-changing accidents and miracles. I mean, they're, they're dealing with miracles that occur in this film. And how each one deals with those events is really funny. It's touching. It's, it's exciting. I, and, and you both have said this. It's super fascinating to me. Um, I, now, this is going to be weird, but the second time I watched it, and uh, I, lo- I loved the film the first time I saw it. It was such a surprise. When I watched it the second time, I feel like I got so much more out of it, and I really loved it. So like you, Sammy, I see myself going back to watch this a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel... I this is one I'm going to... like. Anybody that comes to my house that has not seen this, this is going on. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I 100% want to kind of share this with everybody I know that hasn't seen it. Uh, and, and this is probably a weird analogy, but um, for me... It feels like a modern version of It's a Wonderful Life. It has this life-affirming message, but also forces you to think about so much. And in my head, I'm thinking it's dealing with a lot of the same concepts that It's a Wonderful Life is doing, which is weird. They're, they're both kind of taking place at Christmas time. And you've got It's a Wonderful Life and you've got this whole angel, you know, angle to it and how it's going back and and looking at, um, you know, Stuart's life and, and how he got to that point and, you know, what's predestined versus accident and why is he there and the effect that he has on all of his family and friends. And when I watch this film, it has the same message and to me almost the same story just done in a very uh, violent manner. Right. So I, I don't know. I I mean, the screenplay is so smart. I, it it balances the comedy and the human drama perfectly. I can see why some people might call Anders the Danish Quentin Tarantino, because that's come up in a couple of things that I've read because he's good at blending character development, thrills and comedy. Um, it feels really fresh. And I, I love the fact uh, because I think he does this in Flickering Lights. Flickering Lights is very similar to this film. I think this is a much more polished version of Flickering Lights. And instead of, um, you know, have gangsters uh, kind of coming together in that ensemble piece, you have a mathematician and a, and a soldier with PTSD and his daughter, et cetera. Um, but I, I love the fact that he tackles these big, big topics like the butterfly effect or, you know, how does predictive data work versus the grand plan we can't see? And um, I, it reminds I, I, me of uh, Martin McDonough, too. You guys yeah. probably know his films, right? Uh, In Bruges and uh, Seven mm-hmm. Psychopaths, things like that. Yeah. And I, I just I love everything about this film because I, I love movies that aren't just entertaining. 
Uh, and you know, it's a wonderful life is one of my favorite films of all time. And I, I watch it yearly because it really forces my head to kind of put things in perspective, even in my own life to kind of go, what's going on. Right? right. Um, and this film hit me the same way where you take a step back and there are some sequences that the second time around really hit me and, and kind of make me think And just a, a couple of examples when, uh, Otto goes into Matilda's room and, and sees her trying to map this out. And yeah. that dialogue and exchange they have is absolutely beautiful. And him talking about, oh, you're trying to piece this together. And this is all data. And I love that whole analogy of now you're trying to start with, you know, you've, you've got this thing that happens in your life, which is this guy gave up his seat. And as a result of that, your mother died you actually have to go back X amount of years and go, well, who taught the guy to do that? And that had a ripple effect to this. And, and they're going through this whole, you know, analogy and he goes through this speech and it, and it's really touching. And it, it is one of the best things to kind of put the human condition in context and really make you question like, Hey, is there, is there something, some divine influence that's pulling the strings or is it just random chaos or I, and, and I love those questions. And I even love when they're playing chess together and she, you know, asks, Oh, well, the queen is the most important piece is like, eh, it depends on the scenario because the pawns have an effect that could be greater based on the scenario than the queen ever could. And that plays out in the end of the film. You see that on displays. And what I love about this film is there's so much foreshadowing, but it's so subtle and their little speeches and what they do and these exchanges they have, and it all plays out. And when you see it like the second time, you really have an appreciation of how masterfully it's all put together from a directing scripting perspective. Um, and I, I have no qualm saying this was the best film of 2021 that, that was released nice. in the theaters. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, I know you haven't seen pig yet, but if you, I'd be curious if pig, if you like it as much as you like this, I have a feeling I, I will just based on what I've read about it and the content of it, but there's yeah. something about this that, um, I, I, you guys have touched on this. It's one of the best ensemble pieces I've seen probably in the last decade. Yeah. I, it's I, one of the best ones I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I think I can't think of another film that even comes close to matching how good everybody there. There's not one flat performance and everybody plays off of each other so well. Um, and the comedy feels organic. It's natural. And, and I know we're saying, you know, um, Moss is just sort of the machine or the mechanic that puts things in play. But I got to tell you, I, I find his performance super spellbinding. Yeah. Because. Well, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, that sequence in the bathroom. When, when you talk about, um, there's two things that get me the waterworks going. It is that barn exchange with Otto, and Otto says, hey, you're right. This is what I did. You have a chance to do something that I couldn't. But then that realization when they go, oh, the information's wrong, and he goes into that bathroom, and then Otto is holding him, and Moss is crying, and his daughter sees that, 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 that gets me going. Well, his character's going through all the steps of grief. Yeah. Uh, he's going through the, you know, all, all these things, the anger. Well, and they, they actually hint, they like, you know, they hint on the steps of grief early on in the film, and then you kind of see him play those out. So, yeah. again, we got a lot of foreshadowing stuff going on. The only difference being that 
he happens to actually be a trained soldier who is not afraid to kill people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, that takes it that much further, but that's some of the absurdest humor that Jensen, uh, I think, enjoys putting, uh, you know, judging from the three films I've seen of his, uh, he just enjoys that dark kind of cynical comedy. Yes. Kind of getting that out there. Is there any moment in this movie where you, there's one joke in here? It's a very subtle joke, but it makes me laugh. I mean, the LOLs come out. Okay. And it's the scene where it's so poignant. This, this, this Russian cowboy, Ukrainian cowboy is telling the story about a bull in the forest. And oh, the bear. Oh, the bear. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. With the yes. With the yes. Ring. With the ring. Yeah. He's t- and it's such a serious moment. And then Leonard says, Boy, when the, we're really, it's really going to get exciting when the water begins to boil. <laughs> <laughs> because i mean the story's great but it's also like what the fuck is going what is going on i i love that and uh emmenthaler's reaction after the story as he's like cutting something in the kitchen there there are so many times in this entire film that i was laughing out loud and what's funny is um the second time i watched it so tabitha seen it twice cameron watched it the first time absolutely loved it uh, a good friend of mine came over to watch it the second time, um, Kevin, and he loved it too. Yeah. Um, but what what's funny is there, any time you would have those three, Otto Lennart, Emmenthaler, just arguing, it's absolutely hilarious. And then Otto's like rubbing his back to calm him down. Yeah. Um, he's got this. He's got this technique he does. Yeah. You watch Leonard and Otto; they have this technique they do for Emmenthaler to calm him down because he's full of rage. Yes. I would definitely watch a road trip movie with those guys. <laughs> One of my favorite things about the movie too, is the way that they, the audience is mad is Mads character in yeah. a way. So we're, you know, he's driving this car and clearly, you know, everybody else in the car is, is practically insane in some way. And he's getting so frustrated. And there's moments where you're like, is he going to lose his mind? Because I'm starting to lose. These characters are so crazy and so wacky. And he does. He loses yeah, he does. his mind. Yeah. Yeah. He threatens to kill one. He punches <laughs> one in the nose and leaves him on the side of the road. Yeah. It's just great. It's, it's, I think the only one he doesn't hit is, uh, Immenthaler. And I think he has some, some level of respect for him because of his ability to put a gun together. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that whole sequence when they're firing when the gun. Leonard in the woods. puts it, gun is pointing at him. Oh, my God. <laughs> and when he holds it up and that barrel's pointed like. <laughs> But he doesn't believe him. He's like, do that again. And he does it just so quick and he holds it out. Um, yeah. And it, it's not even a sign of pride. He's just like, I like putting things together. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's everything about this film is so unexpected. And what it, what I love, um, and again, I, I think Tarantino does it. I, I, Anderson does it. I mean, we've, we've named a lot of directors. I love it when your character does something that surprises you but when you take a step back you go oh it shouldn't be a surprise because that's what that character would do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything feels authentic yes yeah that's a choice they would definitely make yeah yeah well it's the genius of uh, really good screenwriters who take these character traits they take these absurd crazy i mean you think about tarantino's universe i mean the stories are the stories are big but they're full of small moments uh, Anderson the same way. And like I said, I would say the same way with Martin McDonough. There's, you know, these assassins and killers and thugs and criminals and stuff. But it really, I mean, in World War II for Inglorious Passage, for instance, but what you remember the most about those films is always these little character moments, these little conversations. Yeah. These, these moments when characters are just spending time together. And to be able to do that, to tell stories in that way, cinematically, is not something a lot of directors can do. I mean, 
I mean, there's certain things other directors do very well, but I would put Jensen in that, in that class with those kind of guys where he really does a good job. I mean, I almost thought about like kind of behind the scenes. I've been thinking about buying uh, three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri on digital for 4k for it's been five bucks this week. And I've been hovering above it because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, because I'm insane. And, uh, I keep looking at it and I don't know why I just don't flip on it, but I just haven't. But I think about that film too. And this kind of dark comedy, the way it deals with things and it deals with racism and that, and that you're not supposed to like these characters, but you end up liking them anyway, because they admit to their faults. And I think that's something that really good screenwriters can do. They, they make you see the humanity, even in these inhumane characters. Yeah. No, I, th- every scene is a surprise. And he, the other thing I really like about it is as a screenwriter and a director, it, it's one thing to bring up these heavy topics and then they become maybe, uh, I don't know, the focus of a particular scene or exchange between two characters, right? Mm-hmm. And But then it goes away. And you go, oh, it, it has this element of it, but it's not a thesis on that theme. Right. So I, I really think uh, Anders has developed a thesis on uh, just causality, right? And so why do things happen? Um, what is What can be you know, predicted versus what is just a miracle? And it's always in front of you at every scene. And, and even in the sort of climactic battle when there's a shootout, which is there's a fantastic action scene at the end when, you know, the writers of justice come to uh, Moss's house and they're invading and they're, you know, they're going to kill everybody. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're shooting up the house and everybody is diving down to get out of the bullets and all of them get hit. The only person who doesn't dive down and is just sitting like on a bed um, is the Russian kid and all these bullets are flying and everybody's trying to get out of the way. They get hit. He doesn't do anything but sits there and doesn't get a scratch on him. Yeah. He's just kind of hunkering down. Yeah, He just sits there and covers his face and stuff. And- yeah. And, and that's again, I, I think Anders is trying to show us like here again, I'm putting it in front of you. Here's an event as it plays out that you would look at it and say, statistically, that kid should have died or got hit or something. Nothing happens to him, but everybody else gets injured or something in that way. And it's this one little detail that happens in the film. But when you go back and watch it a second time, those details are always in the background. Those things are always happening. It makes you ask the question, too, and I don't know if you guys got this, but by the fact that everybody else gets hit, except for this character who has maybe the darkest lifestyle, yeah, it's almost like a moral question, too. I mean, is, you know, is perhaps maybe does God exist? Is God's protecting this innocent who got himself into a situation he couldn't control? I mean, the, I just think this movie is incredibly layered. Yes. And second time watching it, and I know Brad will watch it again eventually. Second time watching it, you pick up on a lot more of this stuff. And it's pretty amazing how deep this movie is. Because on the surface, it's just a revenge movie. Right. In a lot of ways. No, I, I agree. 100%. No, that's a good point. I thought about that scene where the guy, what we were talking about, where he's not ducking. And I'm like, trying to think, like, well, is he the only person that's not really flawed? And like, he's, they're showing like good people are, I don't know. I was trying, like, again, like just thinking about all this stuff, because you know you're watching an hour and forty five minutes 
up to this point. And yeah. there's so much stuff going on and so much stuff about free will and predestination and all that. And you're like, what, you know, everything in every scene like has something. And I'm, you know, just thinking about that one and I'm just trying to put the pieces together. I'm like, maybe I should just watch the movie and think about this later, but <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's almost impossible because at this point in time, you're picking up on these themes and you're trying to like figure it out as the movie's going. You're like, no, just let the movie go. Um, you know, we're, we're so trained as movie watchers to once they find out who the guy is like, Oh, this is the guy and they're going to go get him. And this movie plays on that and plays on sort of like, Hey, let's, uh, let's not make this as good as we can get it. We need to find a guy that, lives in this area because we know he lives in this area yeah. you're like well how come you know i was thinking about that i was like why did they just automatically assume the guy was in the area like he couldn't live in cairo or whatever um and of course that comes back to bite him. um and then it turns out that guy was actually like a father who was like a really good guy who just thought the food was crappy and like <laughs> yeah it, it is okay for like random things to happen um but that's and, that's the whole message, right? Yeah, it's just we it, as human it, it, beings want to read into events. We want causality. We want there to be a reason to we it. Want, yeah, there has to be a reason for a lot of yeah. us. There, there has to be a reason. When the truth is, there is no. I mean, if you really want to go deep, I mean, there's no reason for us to even exist like we exist. I mean, it's just. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's what the movie's saying, though? Uh, I don't. I, I think what the movie's saying is no matter how far you look into it, don't ever statistics will not dictate human behavior. I think human behavior will always stump you. I mean, it's, there's just no way around it. Humans are predictably unpredictable. Yes. I mean, every time I think I've heard the craziest story on the face of the planet, I'll go two or three weeks and something will come across the news. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the world continues to amaze me in some of the things that happen. It just, it blows my mind, but like, I think that's what the movie's trying to say. I think the movie's, I think the movie is overall trying to say everything can be explained, but guess what? Humanity will never be explained because we are the, we're the X factor. We're the, we're, you know, we're the, we're the, I don't know. We're the, we're the mud. <laughs> we're the mess in, in, in this, all the stuff that's supposed to make sense. We're the reason why it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I was I was thinking about it when I was going through college and in in studying economics, which Troy, I'll get there. Don't worry. Okay, um, I'm on this ride. Let's go. <laughs> all the all the economical theories were always they always were predicated with rational people will blank. So you know, in a rational society, people will act this way, and you're like. No, when is a when is society ever rational? Why is when is everyone always rational? It never happens. So are these theories just crap because society's not rational? We're not rational. And then the other point I wanted to make was like, and, and this kind of goes to maybe like I'm a little bit weird in the head, but like I, I I would consider myself a religious person, but my wife gets mad at me a lot when she's you know people will say oh you know they were this happened to them. They're, you know, so blessed or whatever. And I'm like, you, in 2021, 
Do you think God, with all this stuff going on, cares about this one person? Do you think they get precedent over everything else? Like they, And she's like, don't think about it like that. I'm like, look, there's no line that says, like, this person's in front and they can be blessed. Like, that's not how this works. And <laughs> she thinks I'm crazy. But I'm like, no, like, yes, I believe things can happen. But, like, it's we're we're doing a lot of this. And it's mostly just by chance. Like, yeah. And, and, and this movie kind of gets at that point. It's like, yeah, there's no reason why a guy sitting on a couch, not ducking, doesn't get shot by bullets and people yeah. that dive on the floor do, but right. it just happens that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, you know, I mean, trying to explain the unexplainable. I mean, it's, you know, there's just no explaining certain things. This, it happens. Uh, see, th- my second viewing, this is what I got out of it. And, and maybe it's a little bit different. That's where I got this sort of it's a wonderful life connection in my head. Because I think we as people are looking at all these events and, and we look at accidents and we look at miracles and we're trying to find reason. And when we can't, we get frustrated with the world and our focus and direction are always trying to take um, event A, put it to event B. Or maybe you want event D to happen. Well, I got to do X, Y, and Z and it didn't work out. Well, why didn't it work out? It's because I was doing this. But at the end of the day, and I'm I'm kind of with you, Brad. I I am a religious person. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, but I do believe in something more, right? And I think what this film touches on is it talks about the fallibility of the human perspective to look at events and you interpret them as accidents, causality, or miracles. And what happens is as you're focusing on this one thing and you think it's the most horrible thing ever, what in fact, it is the greatest blessing ever. Um, When you look at something and go, well, this is a great blessing. In fact, it's going to be the thing that presents the biggest adversity and you get to define your character, but initially you think it's fantastic. So it's kind of, can you see the force through the trees kind of mentality? And I think what this film is showing is you can try and make sense all, all of this at some point, but at the end of the day, you have to trust that karma, the universe, the, the intellectual being that you know is pulling the strings, whatever it is, there is a plan. And depending on what point of the story you're looking at, there is not a finite beginning or a finite end. It's all moving. And depending on where you stop and look at it, it could be bad or it could be good, but it's not over and it's going to continue to progress. And that's why I feel like this is one of the most life affirming movies I saw last year is because I don't think it's saying that, Oh, nothing matters. It's random chaos. You can't predict it. I think it's saying is you as a human being, aren't going to see the forest through the trees. And at some point you have to trust that it is all going to work out. Yeah. Well, isn't well is the most human thing also that, you know, we're the only species that actually looks into these things. Yeah. Like a, a walrus doesn't wake up and be like, man, Jimmy over there, the other walrus, he fell into the, he fell off the rock the other day, but you know, if Jimmy wouldn't have stayed on that rock, I told him he shouldn't have been staying on that rock. <laughs> but isn't it also, isn't it this movie also telling us like, life is bigger than we are when I got that from when she's putting all that stuff, putting those post-it notes on the, on the wall, he literally pulls out one of them and says, well, if I would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. It's like, you can try to control everything. 
one person comes into your life can pull that post-it note off the wall and say, well, if I wouldn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. If I wouldn't have got fired that day, blah, blah, blah. Life is just bigger than we are. And that, that I think that was one of those things in yeah. the movie where I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. And look, when you said we're watching Riders of Justice that stars Bad Mikkels- Mads Mikkelsen and it looks like a revenge film, and I go into it, and at some point in time, I'm wondering if free will is a thing. I was like, how in the hell did I get here? Um, it, it's uh, it's definitely one of those movies that you go on a journey. And I, I guarantee you, you will not. That journey will will definitely make you start thinking about your own life and, and everything, because that's all I've done today is is wondering yeah. about all the choices I've made, good or bad. Yeah. And how I got to this moment right here. Yeah, I think. surrounding the film with the two bookends it does it starts out with no hope in the beginning and the end there's nothing but hope and uh that's a journey that's a journey surrounded with christmas and everything else i'm so glad you said that so just a quick little story we we finished the film and uh kevin uh who we're watching it with i mean tab and i are like hey it's man it's so amazing the second time he goes i love the film except for that bicycle thing i don't i don't why is that bicycle thing there? Take that bicycle thing out. And this would have been a perfect film. I'm like, are you serious? I was like that. That's like one of, one of the themes. Um, and we had a good 10, 15 minute discussion. Now I feel Kevin was going to die on the Hill over this bicycle thing. And he still didn't. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I feel, and I love how you said it. Whereas, you know, there's one way to interpret it as, there is no hope in the beginning and there's nothing but hope at the end. I also look at that and it kind of refers back to that whole exchange that you were just talking about, Brad, where he kind of pulls that post-it note and says, a guy gave your mom a seat. Now you could start the story here where you can go back like 10 years and who taught the guy. So where you start and where you end a story ultimately is going to determine what you think of the story and, and that can move. Right. And so to me, the bicycle is kind of like, well, she asked for a blue bicycle and this set that entire event off. And so a lady dies, <laughs> these, you know, four or five people come together, they, they create this new family and then, um, she gets her blue bicycle. So in, in one, I guess way, and that's why I said at the beginning, this film is, could be about a girl gets her blue bicycle because she yeah. couldn't get the blue bicycle unless all of that stuff happened. But what I love about the bookend of this is I, I like how you viewed it, Sammy, is like no hope, hope. But I also look at that as illustrating um, what Otto was trying to tell Matilda is like the story is always fluctuating and where you start and where you stop. You can look at this and say, well, the bicycle is it, what kicked this whole thing off. And there's resolution to that one aspect of it. But you take another step back and you go, well, it's still going. And the, and the bicycle was just an element of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't the catalyst that started everything. It could, right. the catalyst that started everything was him learning to, you know, give a female a seat. If there were no seats, that was probably the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being nice, being nice was the catalyst for the whole thing. I do have a question about the bike stuff. So <clears throat> at the end, was that a new bike or was that her grandfather giving her the bike for that Christmas gift? The blue one, the blue bike was Matilda's bike. Well, I, I know that, yeah. but was that her, was that Matilda's bike when she was little and that was the one that got stolen or was that a new bike? 
That's the she one was they, older. That's the one they stole in the opening of the That's film. what I thought. Yeah. But why does it flash a red bike in the garage? And then when you pull out. So, cause I know there's this, there's a, a point where he says, Hey, you know, you might not get everything that you want. You know, it might be a red bike. So did he buy her two bikes? And because she wanted the blue bike, he gave her that one or what's going on with that? The red bike is Matilda's bike. Matilda got a new bike for Christmas. It was red. Yeah. But the blue bike was sitting out front of the, of, of the random uh, grandpa that looked like Santa Claus and uh, oh, the priest. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that stolen bike came back around and it kind of gets back into the improbability of rebuying things. She had a blue bike. So instead of Mad's character buying her a blue bike, he buys her a red bike. So potentially well, he, he bought the red bike, maybe off the guy who stole the red bike. originally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought that what they were trying to say there too, is like, he still doesn't know his daughter. If he knew his daughter, that he would know that he she wanted a blue bike. Or I mean, they certainly, yeah, they certainly leave the door open for that because as open as Mad's character is toward the end with the ugly Christmas sweater and the, the everything going on there and the French horn, little drummer boy, very sweet moment. You still feel like Mad's character is, uh, he's not all there. He's you know? working he's on still, it though. He's, yeah. wor- I love but that it's not a, it. yeah, I love it that it's not a 180. Yeah. He's still that character, but you yeah. see him. He couldn't even it. couldn't even fake a smile either. Like he, <laughs> yeah. he his lip kind of moved up a little bit, but you're, yeah. he's like, nah, you know what? Nah. Now so. He says it. He says it one moment in the movie. I'm trying Matilda, which is as close as we can get to any kind of resolution for that uh, for that behavior that he has. Yeah. No. And can we talk about the ending for a second? So the first time I saw it, and you get to the big standoff, I thought, oh, this is going to have a dramatic ending. That's kind of what I expected. And I was not expecting the surprise and I absolutely loved it. Like I was, I was cheering, like it made, it made total sense and it was fantastic. And I thought, man, then you're What surprise. Are you talking about his um, friends coming out, his friends helping, right? Which it makes sense when you, when you look at where the movie was going, but I wasn't expecting it because I go, I I think there's going to be another emotional gut punch and so you get that and then you start to go down the path of almost getting another emotional gut punch when um you know marcus and matilda are having an exchange by the tree and you're like "Uh uh-oh and then you get the final ending which is the french horn which again i did not expect and it was fantastic and then it ends with how it began with the bicycle I can't think again of another film that had uh, that good of an ending the way this does. I, I mean, there's not a film that I've seen in in years that uh, wraps up and concludes and gives me everything that I've wanted. Like sometimes I will look at a movie ending and go, well, you should have ended here or you should have done this one thing or give it. I, there is, this is a perfect ending. Perfect yeah. endings, ending. Endings are hard, right? Yes. I mean, endings are hard. And, I think it is a perfect ending. I think it ends, it closes all threads yep. in the story as well, which is very rare. Usually a director is just going to close. Like I expected them to pretty much, I expected the movie to end on the pan over to the red bike. Yeah. And I probably would have been okay with that. Um, but it gives me a little bit more with the book. Well, ends. the story can still keep going, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's what it says. That, I mean, we know that bike is just the beginning of someone else's story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there is almost in a way that 
kind of vacant stare of Mads. There's almost like a Travis Bickle esque moment. <laughs> <laughs> there um, is, yeah. I, I am, I am trying, Matilda, but I am also still insane. <laughs> <laughs> I did kill 26 people in the process of this movie. <laughs> so did the boyfriend die? Because if not, he got left out at Christmas. I think. Uh, I think he may have just got left out at Christmas. I don't remember him dying. Serious? Yeah, he, serious. he. No, he was fine. He was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Sirius was uh, pretty funny. Uh, he had some good lines in the <laughs> But that, that's another thing. Like how how the writers of Justice end up finding Marcus is totally random because it's off of a, one guy's daughter who's following him on Instagram or something goes, oh, I follow this guy for his recipe and I saw this guy with this arm that you'd been talking about. And it's just totally random. Gav, she doesn't call him a guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is some stuff like that in this thing. There's a, there's the F and then the uh, R that yeah. just is a bit much, but Hey, it's, I it, think well, that's I mean, how people, it well, it's how, another country. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's another country too. Right. I mean, I don't know what those weren't cigarettes guys. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, and you know, Denmark, you know, the social structure. Yeah, is, exactly. But, exactly. I mean, there's, there's a lot of fat jokes here that wouldn't be made. That wouldn't be in American movies either. Yeah, that's true. Dude, uh, that pizza they brought him looks so good. <laughs> I was craving pizza when May I saw it. Oh, the biggest pizza box I've ever seen. Yeah, you couldn't fit it oh, through the and, door. And another thing I wanted to bring up when she's texting the boyfriend after he gets bitch slapped, uh, she pulls up her her phone, is texting, and uh, it, you know it has like the emojis that you've used last. There's definitely an eggplant right next to that heart. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you're yeah. fishing for those dick pics. Yep. <laughs> oh got my it. god. I love, I love the, uh, I mean, I love the little fat joke that Leonard does with her. And he's like, yeah, you're a little, he goes, you're not, you're not out of your mind. You're just a little chubby. <laughs> yeah. yeah just he like, calls her out. Yeah. He calls her a chubby little salami. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's so many little details. I mean, I could, I could spend hours going, you remember when they're trying to clean, um, the house to kind of get the DNA off and he opens the uh, cabinet, pulls that out and there's nunchucks under the kitchen sink. <laughs> It's just, uh, there's just little comedic. I imagine that's how when I come to your house at some point in time, I'm going to reach under there and it'll be nunchucks nunchucks in every room. We're throwing stars. Oh yeah. Throwing stars everywhere. Yeah. I I did. I did realize a bunch of throwing stars when I was there. (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're discreetly hidden. Yeah. The only person I know who gives you an air mattress and it has throwing stars on it. (laughs) I didn't know if any, (laughs) if we get an invader, I want you to be safe. Okay. If there's a home invasion, I felt safe. I felt safe. <laughs> what else? I mean, what? What? Yeah, I. Uh, I'm. I'm just so happy that you guys find the love for this film that that I do, because uh, I. To me, this is one of those I could easily say somebody could come along and go, yeah, that was pretty good. But of all the people that I've shown it to, and all the people that I've talked to about it, they put it in that top tier and just said, oh yeah, this is one of the best things I've seen in a long while. Yeah. I know uh, Will, my my buddy over at the GGTMC, he was pushing it on me pretty hard, as well as Randy, obviously. Um, and he had actually pushed men and chicken on me as well, and I didn't get around to it. And so I have to give props to Will as well because he knew I would like it. He He's known me for a long time, and he knew. And after I saw this, I knew that Troy would like it. And then after we talked about doing it on here, I knew in my heart of hearts that Brad would like it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. so. I, I really did. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think anybody that I hang out with or anybody that I talk to or anybody that listens to the podcast has listened to me talk about movies forever. If 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 there's one movie I guarantee that I like that you will like, it's this one. I mean, it's 
it's i mean it, it's it's one of the best movies i saw in the last year i mean clearly i like i said i put it at number two on my list but man it just it gets better i mean it could easily be i mean i would rewatch this one more often than i watch rewatch pig and there's reasons for that i don't want to get into them because i don't know if i don't even know if uh either one of you i know troy hasn't seen i haven't pig, seen but no, i'm not either unfortunately neither one of you watch pig so there's a reason why I would rewatch this one. And it basically comes down to the entertainment value. This movie's funny and the characters are great. And I just want to spend time with them. And I, I hope I get a sequel in a way. It's one of those kind of movies where it's like, it doesn't deserve a sequel, but it'd be great if it got one. (laughs) I will see anything. I mean, I'm actively going to go back through the rest of Anders filmography as a director. I mean, I I look at his screenwriting that he's doing for other folks and I, I can't say that there's anything out there that, um, just really gets me jazzed, but all of the films that I've seen, the three, uh, cause you know, he's done 10 total, I guess, or if you throw the shorts in, I just want to go back and watch everything he's done at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely one of the best filmmakers working right now. Yeah. Well, what else, Brad, anything else? No, no, we, we mentioned Inglorious bastards having moments. I just want to skip to the Tarantino part real fast. So I want to go back. And all I will say is my favorite part of Inglorious Bastards is like this small moment when Brad Pitt says Gorlami. And I think that's the funniest thing in any movie I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. And you're right. Like it's it's these big movies. And this goes for that, this too, where it's the small moment that stays with you. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. kind of how this movie works. Um, so, yeah, I if you've stuck around and don't mind the movie somewhat being spoiled for you. I still think it's worth like watching and seeing these moments and kind of getting your mind going. Cause I, my mind was going at a thousand miles an hour watching this movie, just thinking about everything going on. And that's why I think when I watch it again and, and again, that it'll just be that much better. Cause I will have already thought about a lot of these things that I can, see my theories keep going. And after our discussion now, it's like, Oh, all I really want to do is rewatch this movie. I have watched it less than 12 hours ago, but I, (laughs) I want to go back already. So that's my kind of final say. I really want to go back and watch uh, men and chicken again. Um, big time. So I guess I need to see that now, right? Oh yeah. You you need to watch men and chicken. It's pretty, it's, it's out there, but it's, it's a fun kind of out there. Oh yeah. 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 Well, it's time for the question. Uh, I'll start with our guest, Sam. Uh, not a bomb uh, is, well, I should say, is, <laughs> is look, it's not a bomb. I'm not even asking yes, questions. Let's just, look, just go. Come on. We'll just I think it's going. very clear that all of us are going to say <laughs> if, not a bomb. If Sam was just like, yeah, but it's a bomb, I'd be like, what? Okay. Okay. Yeah, Here's we can't be friends. It's not a bomb, though, guys. No, uh, it's not a bomb. This movie's great. Uh, it's one of these things that is unfortunate, kind of like uh, when I was talking about in the opening with Raging Fire. It's just kind of unfortunate it didn't get a big push in the States. And one of the things that always saddens me is that, you know, not everybody's as big a movie buff as we are. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy from James from Casino Royale, or I remember that guy from Hannibal. Um, And I wish, you know, more people, you know, would know who these people are as opposed to always going after the big actors. Right. So yeah, I know it is what it is and there's, it's, it's part of the business, but I really wish this movie would have gotten more of a push and got out there and more people would have saw it. I agree. Big time. I, I, I mean, I, I can honestly say the films that I've watched this week, just kind of prepping for us, which was flickering lights, men and chicken and uh, another round. 
I strongly recommend all those films. But if you only could watch one, watch Writers of Justice. It's it's phenomenal. Brad, um, we still have a giveaway to do. Um, a couple weeks ago when we were doing Raging Fire, uh, we wanted to give a copy of the Blu-ray and we had asked folks, hey, tag us in some fashion or send emails of what your favorite discovery was from watching movies last year and we'll kind of put them in a pool and we will do a random drawing and pick somebody. So I think we have a winner, right? We do, but I don't remember what their pick was. I just remember, I just have their name. Okay. What was their pick? They're, it's Soph. It, it was Sophocles. His pick was Paper Tigers. So oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah, yep. which is something that we talked about um, and I kind of recommended uh, through the show. And um, I, I think we gave a copy of that away at some point last year. I can't remember. Yeah. Yes, and then you sent me a copy as well, and I absolutely love it. I think it's still on Netflix if anyone is really curious about it. It was on Netflix for a long time. See that movie. Yeah, See I, think it. still, I think it's still there. Yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. So that, that was the one that he shared with us, and uh, just just a big thank you to everybody who sent us, because um, the whole idea was just to you know get some interactivity, put some stuff out there. Maybe we would run across something um, that we could add to the list. I was surprised and we want to give back and we want to get back. Yeah. Um, but man, I was really surprised how many people emailed or sent messages, et cetera, and told us that the movies that we covered on the show ended up being their biggest surprise of the year. And there were a few that were mentioned over and over and over again. Love and monsters was definitely brought up a bunch. Paper tigers came up more than a few times. And um, this one I'm really excited about. Uh, Brigsby Bear showed Brigsby up Bear, yeah. on a. We got tagged on a lot of posts of, you know, yep. we, we said early in the podcast, don't go into this thing blind, stop listening, et cetera. And some people, you know, took that to heart. Um, I'm going to call out Matt Brown from the Mixtape Podcast. He had sent um, us a message and basically gave it a glowing review on social media, Brigsby Bear, and did exactly what we told him to do, which was stop the podcast, go and watch it, then come back. And uh, he he did the same thing. He tagged all of his friends and everything else, and told everybody to go in and, and watch it blind. So yeah. I haven't watched that one yet, but I can rep for Love and Monsters. That movie's amazing. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, I did want to share. We got an awesome. Now it's it's a long email, um, but I want to read it because it's from our good friend Zoe, who hosts the Backlook Cinema Podcast. They're back from vacation. They're doing some shows. But he wrote in um, to give us some feedback on Suicide Squad. So uh, I'm just going to read a couple sections of his email. I just listened to your episode on the Suicide Squad, and I had some thoughts. I was practically writing portions of this letter as I listened to that episode. A major topic was the box office because under any other conditions, this movie would not have bombed. Even superhero movies that absolutely suck tend to make hundreds of millions so this makes no sense. My knee-jerk reaction is to blame it all on the pandemic, but after doing some minor research, it seems more complex than that. You had a wonderful guest in John Nance. I agree 100%. We got a ton of great feedback on John. He's, he's always awesome, especially anything comic book related. That guy's a walking encyclopedia. Um, so he says, you had a wonderful guest in John Nance, but I disagreed with his theories. I don't think John Cena's comments really had that big of an impact. I agree with you that he's really not much of a draw. He might have a huge fan base, but not as big as Elba or, or Roby. 
I don't think that he's even as big a draw as James Gunn. I also think that people who even paid attention to his comments knew what he meant in his defense of Taiwan and also knew exactly why he apologized to China. It was extremely transparent. It was like Daddy Warner saying, you can't just go shouting your mouth out uh, mouth off about your feelings. Now you go apologize to Mr. China right now. Like we get it. And I don't think that many people cared looking at a couple of the box office numbers in my extremely light research. I found that similar movies that Warner brothers released early in the pandemic under similar box office first day streaming conditions revealed that some other movies made a boatload of cash specifically Godzilla versus Kong made 460 million worldwide. Uh, Black Widow wasn't comparable to Warner Brothers release since one had to pay to watch Black Widow when it was released on Disney Plus. My main theory is similar to yours, a combination of the pandemic and the original Suicide Squad. While I don't think it was a ba- as bad as a lot of people thought, that it was really, really bad. And I think that stink stuck to the Suicide Squad. So, and the email goes on. It's fantastic. Zoe um, really knows his superhero stuff. He, um, I, I, it's, I love this type of interaction when somebody is, um, kind of taking the comments that we make or taking some of the theories that we have on why something bond sort of throwing their two cents in there, but also giving us a different, you know, take on it. Um, so thank you so much for the email. He actually wrote another piece about cowboy bebop that I'm saving for when we get back together and pick that show up. Um, soon. Yes, very soon. <laughs> but there's some great comments that uh, Zoe is sharing on that, and we'll get to that when we get back to Cowboy Bebop. Um, it Brad. is the stink. Of, it is the stink of Suicide Squad. It totally is, in my opinion. Yeah, I plus think so the too. fact that plus the fact that you go from Suicide Squad to the Suicide Squad less than five years after. I just don't think I don't think anybody really wanted to see it again. I think even though Suicide Squad made money, I don't know. I don't think it has anything to do with John Cena, though. Oh, I, I don't think so either. Um, you know, Zoe even brought up because we made a um, a comment about the DC animated films and talked about how much better they were from Marvel. And Zoe pointed this out, and I, I didn't even think about this. Um, Marvel animated is every bit as good as DC animated. The only reason why people think that DC is better is because DC is mostly and purposely aimed at adults. Marvel, until recently, has aimed its animation squarely at uh oh i gotta get the rest of it squarely at children their shows have appeared on disney xd cartoon network nicktoons and disney jr almost exclusively marvel's what if series is on another level and is the only proper comparison to dc animated yeah that's fair i i have you guys um i have not finished what if it's one i'm struggling to get through because i gotta be honest i'm i'm not digging it what if i enjoyed it yeah, exactly. I was damn it, damn it, damn it. I was gonna say the same thing. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed a few episodes of it, but me and my son, we dipped out. It's just, it. I still think it's rather boring. I'm with you. I'll finish yeah, I mean, it, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not rushing through it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think it's really that impressive. I don't think the animation's that great. Yeah, I wasn't impressed with the animation. I just, you know, I, I it's fine, but it's. We watched, I don't know, first four or five episodes, and I was like, yeah. we <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff to catch up on. There's so much stuff to watch, right? I mean, I just don't, I'm not going to, there's a part of me that's a completist and wants to finish everything I start. But as I said before, I, Suicide Squad is one of the few movies I turned off. I was like, ugh, that original Suicide Squad. Yeah. 
Well, What's I can start doing the character introductions. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, it's oh boy. I got uh, two more episodes left of that MacGruber on Peacock, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm loving it. If you like the movie, you got to watch the show, man. That that oh, I I love that show so much. <laughs> I'm thinking about watching it again. Uh, I will definitely watch it again. It's a lot of fun. There there is so much comedy gold in those last three episodes. <laughs> my my favorite is uh, Karen and I are watching an episode tab that comes in and sits like the last 10 minutes and he makes, he, he doesn't make a joke. He, he says something to Vicky and I saw my wife just put her hands on her temples and start rubbing and Cameron and I are laughing so hard and I turn over. She goes, you're going to use that on me someday. I know you are. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh yeah, that went into my, to my metal mental Rolodex. That one's coming out yeah. as a joke on to that one for the catalog. Yeah. Uh, Brad, if anybody wants to send us an email or contact us or, you know, give us their thoughts on some of the films that we talked about, but also, you know, help us keep the list going and give us some bombs we should discuss. How do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or you can go to notabombpodcast.com, hit the contact us button, and you can leave us uh, a message there. Awesome. And Sammy, Gentleman's Guide, it's back. You're releasing episodes yeah. on Monday. Um, yeah, episodes or, come out on Monday at 8 a.m. Um, in time for The people. one came out on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We came back on Christmas Eve as kind of a present. It's just a gift that keeps on giving. Everybody who has stuck around for a long time, it was kind of fun to kind of surprise everybody. Oh, was, that was the best Christmas present, man. Put it out there, and, and uh, it's good to be back. I mean, right now we're only doing one film because... We're just trying to get our feet wet and trying to get our scheduling down, but it's working for us right now. So hopefully we'll have you guys on soon and uh, we'll have some fun and do a more traditional episode. Uh, some have asked me if we're going to get away from the two episode, two film show. I don't think so. I think we'll come back to that. I just think we're, we always have a lot to say, man. So you know. <laughs> it's you, the charm is there, man. It's, I love it. We have fun. Yeah, we have fun, and uh, it's great to be back. It's great to be back and doing it again. I, it's it's so much fun to to hear you guys kind of go back and forth. Um, and I, I love you know I love that the uh, you started off with your your sort of top picks of last year. I, I think if if anybody wants to get a feel if they're gonna if they've never listened to your show and they kind of go well, what am I getting into if I listen on a regular basis? I, I don't know about you, Sammy. My my recommendation would always be like start at that show with like the top first time watches of 2021. I think it's a, it's a great introduction to like the type of movies you guys are going to talk about. Um, yeah. and then how you're going to approach them. And, uh, I mean, the chemistry is all there. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely have a very diverse catalog of films to select from, but everybody does just not everybody talks about them. So we got some interesting stuff coming up. Sweet. Some well, up. speaking of things coming up, you're coming back for next week, right? Yeah. Back-to-back weeks. I've been away for a while, and I said, screw that. <laughs> I'm just going to hang out for a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, I I, pre- I I just want to say on the air, I appreciate you guys' open-door policy of allowing me to be a part of this little thing that you guys have created. It's awesome for me to be a part of everything you all are doing. And uh, one of the, my favorite things about it is I get to talk about more recent movies because I usually talk about older films. So it's fun for me to talk about more recent stuff like Riders of Justice and next week's yeah so next week is brad's pick and it'll be the last film that we're pulling specifically from last year so brad 
we had two different approaches. I wanted to pick and champion things that I saw that uh, I wanted to get out there. So my picks are done. You picked films that you hadn't seen, but you definitely want to talk about. So what are we talking about next week? Yeah, we're talking about Ridley Scott's $100 million bomb, The Last Duel. Oof. And I yeah. think $100 million might be conservative. I've heard anywhere from like 125 to 150. It was bad. So, yeah. yeah. Major, major bomb. Mm-hmm. Major bomb. It really bombed hard. Lots of medieval mullets on this movie, but yeah. we'll see how that works. I think I even messaged you guys when the box office numbers came back that Monday morning because we have a habit of messaging each other on Monday mornings because we all hate Monday mornings. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I messaged you guys and said, I, I mean, I couldn't even believe the number when I heard it. When I heard the number, I think it was only five million. I think it only five, made five million, million or something like that. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it'll be an interesting discussion because even lately, I mean, really, Scott has been um, very boisterous about his theory about why things bombed. He's been I'm, a bit randy, been a yeah. bit randy, a bit uh, curmudgeonly, that fella. Uh, and this will be a first time watch for all of us, right? Yes. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, my son bought it for me for Christmas. Oh, nice. Very sweet of him. Yeah. He saw me eyeballing it. I said, well, I might wait for the 4K, but he saw me eyeballing the Blu-ray, and I'm okay with Blu-ray. I mean, 1080p still works for me. I love 4K, but yeah. 1080p is still pretty pretty sweet. Awesome. Oh, I see my door. My door's moving. <laughs> I mean, I, and Ridley Scott's one of my favorite directors, so I, I'm, I'm glad to have him on the podcast. I think this is the first movie we've done of his, right? Yes. Uh, that yes. sounds right. Yeah. I, I know we've talked about him, but I think this will be his first formal film that will be on the podcast. Uh, I think uh, Ridley Scott has very few bombs in his uh, catalog that I know of. I mean, he's got a few notorious ones, but very few. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, thanks for participating. Thanks for listening. I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. I hope you're having an awesome day. Come back next week. We're going to talk about a huge bomb from last year that none of us have seen. Ridley Scott's uh, The Last Duel. And uh, we'll have some fun with that. And Sammy's coming back. So we're, we're super excited. But um, yeah, have an awesome day. We'll catch you next week. Don't lose your head. 